but a holiday treat. Oh my God. I it, it, Santa has come early or late, depending uh, on when or this on drops, time, but yes. early. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. We don't really exactly know. It uh, might be early for next year, depending sure. on how, Perfect. yeah, but. Perfect. The point is, uh, mm-hmm. Brittany Nichols has been on our wish list for such a long time as a guest. She's finally here. Uh, she is a writer and producer for the great Abbott Elementary. Uh, she also uh, wrote and produced and starred in the movie Suicide Kale that won awards at Outfest and a bunch of other film festivals. Brittany Nichols, hello. Welcome to Homophilia. Welcome. And how are you? Hello. I'm good. Very happy to be here. Talk us through your holiday season so far. How's it going? It's it's going all right. Mm-hmm. Um, gonna be sticking around LA for a bit. Gonna go to Big Sur for a bit. Gonna go to Oakland for a bit. So it'll be nice. You're doing it exactly right. Yeah, staying yeah. around over Christmas and New Year's is exactly the thing to do. Are you a a lover of the holiday season or no? It's fine. It's fine. It's all right. I like rest. And it usually comes with some amount of rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are you, we're recording this on a Friday and uh, kind of early-ish December, middle of the day. Are, are you, I'm assuming you're not in the room this week. Oh, no, we are. It's lunch, you it's are. lunch break. Yeah. Oh, this I'm is a lot right break. now. Oh, wow. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Thank you for squeezing us in. Seriously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So this is an in-person room. There's no Zoom rooms for you. Yep, we are in person. Okay, okay. And I, I, I read that you were you're working on the season finale. I, obviously, you can't reveal anything, but just what is how, how's your what's your emotion level at the moment? I understand you're the crier. Oh yeah, I am. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a little nervous about mm. what the response is going to be. Um, but I'm excited because I think the way that we're handling a lot of the will they, won't they, it, it feels unique. You know, people like to say it's, you know, just like the office, just like the Parks and Rec. But I, I think if you look at the way that these things are going to develop, I, I think it's different than, than what we've seen on TV before. Okay. Right. Um, I want to get back to Abbott Elementary, but first, just bigger picture. What are, what are you uh, watching or loving pop culture wise these days, aside from Abbott Elementary? I really liked high school. Oh, yeah. The Tegan and Sarah show on mm-hmm. um, Freebie, which is Amazon yes. Prime's free thing. <laughs> which yes, we just talked to Clea Duvall about it. It's excellent. Oh, nice. mm-hmm. What else am I really liking? Um, I'm still trying to, I've been talking about Resident Alien for like the past year, but I still, I'm not completely caught up on that. I think that's a super fun show. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. My, my yeah. friend Mandel Mon is an actress who's on it, I think. Okay, great. Yeah, but it's no, it's not, it's, it's over. Am I correct? This latest season, I think, is. Was the last, is the last. Oh, no. Is it done? Oh. I don't know. I might even be talking about the wrong show. Oh. Don't don't take my word on it. Resident don't Alien be alarmed, is Brittany. that um, Alan Tudyk or yeah. uh, okay, okay. It is. Yeah. Yes. I've I've and, seen um, both words. That's it. Reboot on Hulu. Okay. I've yes. really been liking. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you grow up obsessed with? What were like the the movies, TV shows, m- music that uh, you know really grabbed you? 
I was super into like the WB shows when I was in high school. So that was at the time it was like uh what was that show? Everwood. Sure, yes. Oh wow, yeah. And were you a Dawson's Creek person? I wasn't a Dawson's Creek. That was a bit earlier, I think, but like Gilmore Girls, I was also really into. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like Chappelle Show was on the Boondocks. Um, and then once I got into college, I leaned way more into sitcoms. Yeah. And so right through college and like right when I graduated, it was like Happy Endings, The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, New Girl, like all the everything that everyone is like binging now is yeah. like what really got me super into TV and, you know, made me want to be a writer eventually. Yeah. But the seeds were planted by the 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 warm color palette of a WB nighttime soap opera. Oh, absolutely. It was like I would watch them with my stepmother. That was like where our overlap in TV was. Yeah. The OC also I was really oh, into. Yeah. Oh my God, the OC. Unimpeachably a, a great show. Like a legitimately satisfying show in every way. You know, I don't know that I've like looked back into how awarded some of these shows are. I think that's been a surprise of my adulthood is being like, oh, also like a lot of this stuff was like being nominated for Emmys and all that sort of stuff. Cause that just wasn't something I was paying attention to at the time. So it's fun to look back and be like, oh, this show I love was universally panned and hated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this other thing was like critically acclaimed and I just hadn't, to me, it was all the same. To me, I was like, these things are of equal value. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how about how about a swerve on Benjamin McKenzie, Ryan Atwood of the OC, has just uh, published a book about crypto. Do you know, he's like, he's like right? an economist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Brittany, are you a crypto person at all? Do you I n- know what I it is? Okay. I know yeah. what it is, and I think it's bad. <laughs> yeah, no, so does he. He is anti-crypto. It's, it is oh, like oh, good. deep. Oh, and, yeah, wow. no, 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 no. Everybody oh. exhale. Everybody exhale. Shake oh, it off. that's refreshing. Is, yeah. No, he is. Let me be absolutely clear. Benjamin McKenzie is not a pro crypto person. Not at all. Um, he's been calling it a scam from the very beginning. And he wrote this like kind of, you know, like scholarly book about like why and how specifically people are losing. Did he shirts. write it all in a white tank top? That's what I, I hope so. In my mind. He did. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. He did. Yeah. He's a charming oh. fellow. Which one was Everwood? I'm sorry. I just need I I need a a, a brush up. Um, was that Treat Williams? Is that the guy with the eyebrows? Yeah. Yes. And well, um, his son was named. I mean, a lot Ephraim. of guys with eyebrows. Ephraim. Okay. Yeah, that vaguely rings a bell. Yeah. That was okay. I'm much older than dude, but that was was after my time. But um uh, yeah, the the shows that you were mentioning you watched in college was was kind was like kind of another heyday for network comedies with like happy endings in the office. And there were a lot of great, you know, critically acclaimed network comedies. And now it's like a unicorn and you're working on like one of the only ones that is kind of giving the I don't know, the network world hope, I guess. It's winning Emmys and it's like very much in the conversation and the show is, is great, obviously, but these days it's kind of a miracle for all of those things to even converge. So how has this ride um, been for you so far? It's been great, honestly. I, I moved away from thinking I would ever work in network comedy because I think I was 
looking at the shows. I was looking at the makeup of the rooms and, you know, the industry was sort of telling me like, oh, you're black, genderqueer, lesbian. Like that's streaming, baby. Like (laughs) there's Mm -hmm. nothing here happening for you in network. And so the way that I was seeing my own career just didn't involve network anymore um, until Abbott happened and Quinta and uh, Justin Halper, one of the showrunners, you know, asked me about if I'd be interested in working on the show. And I read the pilot and I was like, yeah, I I would. (laughs) This is, uh, you know, another one of those jobs that I think younger me would lose their shit over like I've had a few of those sorts of jobs where it's like oh this is like such a shout out to my childhood or shout out to my early adulthood and this one fits very much into that bucket um and yeah Dave mentioned I I've written there's a New York Times article about you that called you out as being the crier in the room um do you I know you can't get spoilers but do you remember like something specific that you cried about in the room recently hmm I think that's not gonna be a spoiler yeah uh well episode episode 210 that just aired um the when they go out to the club and Gregory and Janine have you know dance together and have that almost kiss moment the first time I watched it, that episode, I think I cried about them <laughs> dancing. And then I also cried um, during Chris Perfetti's performance where Jacob is talking about how he had a hard time growing up during the holidays. Because uh, I, yeah, I think part of why I'm not very excited about the holidays because it was just like a time when people argued a lot and there was a lot of tension. And it's like such a small, moment I think the lines that he has it's only a couple of lines long um but especially him being like a queer character and you know we haven't fully delved into his background his upbringing and you know what he's had to sort of grapple with to become the person that he is today uh just even like motioning in that direction that that got the waterworks going for me Mm. I love it I love it what are what are some of your seminal cry moments throughout pop culture history is there like is there a moment that you remember just losing it in a in a cinema seat or on a couch or in a you know yes i watched the film click with adam sandler this is not you ever seen it already going in a direction that i was not expecting i don't know (laughs) well i tell you i get a lot of shit for there are some people who immediately get in there like I understand why that is a movie that you will never see again because it destroyed you on such a level that it is unsafe for you to view it. Like that's where I'm at with it. And people are like, I get that. And other people are like, click. Yeah. But it's I'm Googling I, to for Yeah, it's he's got a he's got a remote control that can like uh, yeah. rewind and fast forward the world. And you know what? Now that you mention it, I it's a thing that I have heard people get emotional about, but I I don't understand what about. I mean, you can go ahead and spoil it for us. Oh, I don't know. I well, I refuse to look up the synopsis or anything oh. about the film because okay. it truly caught me. I think I was home on break, actually, like maybe right after college. And I just threw it on because I love Adam Sandler. I was like, it's a new, it's a new Adam Sandler film. Just pop it on. And at the end of it, I just was like sitting alone in a living room watching it by myself, just destroyed, just on the floor. And so mm. I cannot engage with 
anything about the movie because I'm scared (laughs) to to be taken back to that place. Yeah, nobody send Brittany click gifts. Uh, We we don't want them. We don't want them. Yeah, keep your merch. Keep your merch to yourself. Okay, I'm going to have to watch this now. Yeah, I'm due for a good cry. Absolutely. Um, You mentioned Chris Perfetti's character and that he, you know, is uh, out and gay on the show and that his, you know, he kind of came out in such a sort of such a non coming out sort of just a casual kind of, uh, I think, like I have a boyfriend sort of passing comment. Um, Can you give us a little glimpse into the writer's room, how you all landed on that? Yeah, so the first time that it's mentioned actually is before that moment in the episode where he's getting roasted and someone calls him uh, gay Pete Buttigieg. Oh, right. Which, which we thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and we Pete thought that Buttigieg. it would uh, slide under the radar, but then people would maybe on rewatches or like some people would bring it back up. And some people did on Twitter, but I think a lot of people just forgot about that moment. Um, and then, yeah, we just didn't want to make it a thing, uh, because I think there's so much happening specifically with the way that queer teachers are treated in schools and all the don't say gay bills and even having the character of Barbara, who is seen as this, you know, very religious person, um, you know, we know that it's possible for none of those things to be bad. Like there are schools that aren't terrible to their queer teachers. There are people who are religious, who uh, treat queer people around them like human beings and with respect. And it's, you know, people are annoyed with Jacob and it has nothing to do with his sexual identity. It's just because he just Mm -hmm. does some annoying shit sometimes. And we just wanted to give that space to breathe because like the show is, not supposed to be super trauma filled and there's no way to have that be a a constant underlying uh presence without bringing trauma into the show every time because i think that you know being alive as a queer person like some shitty happens to me fairly often like it's very small a lot of the times but it's pretty much a constant and even if that is a constant in his life we don't need to see that. I think it's more important to show what the positive experiences can be. Yeah. It's crazy how brand new that idea is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the, the idea that, yeah, that, that there can be, yeah, I, I don't know if you saw Heartstoppers mm-hmm. on Netflix, but just the, the revolutionary thing of like, hey, what if, what if it were like two queer high school kids having like a good time? And, mm-hmm. you know, and like, there doesn't, have, it's like, they're not in mortal danger all the time. And, and, you know, Jacob on Abbott Elementary and these characters get to be queer and a second thing, mm-hmm. which is like, we didn't have that until maybe four years ago. In our yeah. Country. And it's not, and it's not his defining characteristic either. Right. Which I think right. is good. Right. Do you remember, is there like a, a seminal queer character from your youth like a, a moment when when you felt yourself reflected in culture? I think the first time I had any sort of awareness of like, you know, the thing that I do all the time now, which I'm watching a show, I'm like, that character is clearly gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't understand why we're not dealing with that. Um, yeah. But it was like the little giants. There was that character Icebox. 
it was like well, just the girl that played football and I was just like hmm, I identify with her for some reason and then of course in the movie I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure she like you know the boys all have a crush on her and she like has a crush on like the cutest boy and blah 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 and I was like sure you say so I don't think that uh, <laughs> yeah. check, check, check back in with her in 15 years and let me know what's happening yeah for sure but I was like such a little tomboy that that's like all the little tomboy characters and I think you know that sort of stuff helps keep you in the closet because you're like oh no she's like me but then she does like boys so uh that can happen that's a real thing maybe mm. that's what's happening with me and it just helps you just like continue to stay in the closet do you you're you're too young for, to have seen this at the time but did you ever see a movie called uh she's just one of the guys no i ring a bell it was an 80s comedy about a woman i think she's a high school she, she goes undercover as a guy um in high school and and passes and has a crush on the jock and he is clearly like drawn to her but knows her as a guy and he's straight and so there it was like i i so like saw myself in it but was also it was also so fucked up the messaging behind it um mm -hmm. anyway I would say give it a watch, but I don't think you would see it's, it. <laughs> I, I'm certain it does not hold up. But yeah, no, no, that was that was a big one. It was you know at the yeah. at the peak of like teen sex comedy eighties. Yeah, that's mm. uh, yeah, um, yeah. sounds pretty um, similar to uh, she's the man, the Amanda exactly. Bynes Channing Tatum vehicle. That's exactly. Yeah. Oh right, is that's the right. premise? So Amanda Bynes is uh, mm -hmm. trying to pass as a guy, and she's yes, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, I hope she's okay. Yeah, I think it's, that one probably also based on, was it 12th Night, I think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's just one of the guys is uh, not definitely not Shakespearean in any way. No. Okay. <laughs> um, no. I wanted to ask you about your early days um, in LA. I've heard, I heard you talk about this a bit, I think maybe on script notes or, or some other podcast, but you know, just how like when you're that age and you're trying to break in, it is so impenetrable for everyone. But like, even if you're trying, you can't even really realistically be an assistant and survive unless you have rich parents. You know, that it is just sort of you're hitting one wall after the other. Obviously, you came out on the other side of this. But like, can you talk a little bit about just what was going on for you in those early days? Yeah, um, so I moved to LA in 2011. Um, I didn't know really anyone in the industry. I ended up getting like PA jobs, either from like random emails. I was very good at writing witty little emails to get people to let me work for free. Just fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just like running my mouth constantly. So I was just like telling even people from home like hey do you know anyone else who has like made the jump to LA that I could talk to and and those people were like PAs and that's how I got some of that work but I had like heard the tropes about like oh and then people become waiters and then they're waiters forever um or like one of the first people I met was this guy who had been a producer's assistant for like a dozen years and he had just gotten his first script and I was like I'm sorry what are you mm. saying to me right now <laughs> I was like I, I definitely don't want to be put in that position and so I just decided pretty early on I was like well I didn't you know come from money I had been a broke college student I continued to be broke once I graduated from college I just was like oh I don't really know any better so I'm just going to continue 
to be broke and just like piece it together every month so that I can like fully put my energy into this goal and I'm not being drained by some like assistant position or some um, service like service worker position I just did background extra work did PA gigs I was writing for this website called Autostraddle and was making you know money from that and at the time my rent was $560 so it wasn't Mm, nuts to be able to come up with you know the $700 I needed to survive every month didn't have a car was taking the bus was riding my bike it just was you know it sucked it was hard but I really I was 22 I didn't freaking know any better I just had this goal that I was uh pretty intent on putting my all into because I didn't want to turn around and look and be like oh well you didn't really you didn't really try and also everyone always says like it takes 10 years to make it it takes 10 years it did take me 10 years I I hope to god that it does not I think if it takes you 10 years I'm very I'm really sorry because I don't think (laughs) I don't think that it should I think you should be able to find a way in before year 10 rolls around. Yeah, for sure. One of your early credits is on Transparent. Uh, There was an acting role. And uh, by the way, we can cut out anything that you don't want brought up on the show or whatever. But I I, I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask about it because it's obviously the show has a very complicated legacy Mm -hmm. for many reasons. You know, and I watched it when it went at the time when it was coming out and was so moved by it and loved it and and did a rewatch recently and it's really interesting watching it through like a 2022 lens mm-hmm. um but i'm just curious what you how you think about the show you know in retrospect i think that show at the time it was one of my favorite shows like despite its issues and this is you know before some of the uh sexual assault allegations came right out of it um but it was like such a show of its time in in a weird way like it did bring in all these sort of new elements but there was also like you're the worst there was transparent there was um what was that one on hbo with the duplass brothers togetherness togetherness yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there were like four or five shows just sort of about like rich white people in LA. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, it was like its own, it was a genre unto itself mm-hmm. at the time. And one that I really enjoyed. Um, I, I think that it was this sort of new, very slow storytelling that sort of led us into the era that we are now where you like can't tell what's a comedy and can't tell what's a drama Mm -hmm. and you know you have shows like succession which are an hour but are pretty funny and then you have shows like you know the flight attendant which is then billed as a comedy and you're like is it or is it just sort of genre-y and you don't know what to do with shows that are like that yeah i feel like the tone has just sort of been broken on on a lot of shows and it's led to a lot more compelling storytelling I think and I think that that even opened the door for a show like Insecure um like one of the things that I am just saying constantly is just like that's a story sort of storytelling that a lot of people of color and a lot of queer people don't have access to it's still sequestered off as like sort of prestige comedy in a way and like you have Atlanta like who also sort of broke into that mold but it's still it's still only a certain sort of person I think on the whole gets to do that and other people you have to like prove like I can do hard jokes I can do 
really, you know, historically defined sitcom. People don't trust you to be able to tell that sort of storytelling in the same way. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so you have a girlfriend, am I right? I do. You do. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you two meet? We met um, via Instagram. I was working on a black lady sketch show with a friend of hers and that person posted a picture of me, one that I don't think is very flattering, uh, but still she DM'd that friend and said, uh, who's that zaddy? And I then Ooh. again had to confirm that that was in reference to me as I had never been referred to as such. Uh, and she was like, no, I'm, I am talking about her. Uh, and then we like just start DMing and went on a, went on a date. Where'd you go? What'd you do? Where did we go? I can't remember. We went to some place in uh, Silver Lake, I want to say, like a Middle Eastern place, I think. And she got mm -hmm. octopus. I'm not a big octopus fan. I remember that. Um, I remember I was also running late and she was sitting in a chair in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know why there was a chair in the middle of the parking lot or why she decided to wait there. But that's one of the images that's like seared in my mind from our first date. Uh -huh. It's very zaddy behavior. Um, <laughs> for octopus. Yeah. Do you Just embrace that that zaddy label? No. 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 I think it's funny. I don't. Yeah. I don't ever. I don't want to have kids. The zaddy I feel stage. like it would be a it would be a funny thing to tell your kids about how you met. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, you've no kids in your future. Oh, absolutely not. Okay. Talk me through that decision. Or, or was um, it ever I, a decision? Was it just? I think it was, or I, had, I just hadn't decided. Like in my early and mid 20s, I was like, oh, maybe. Like it's still on the table. And then I sort of hit my late 20s and was like, absolutely not. I think I was 30, actually. When I turned 30, I was like, no, I think I like doing what I want to do, whatever I want to do it. And the idea mm -hmm. of not having that freedom, uh, I, I don't like it. I'm with you. Uh, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you is that you you and your girlfriend collaborated on uh, this podcast um, about the LA Sheriff's Department. Um, she's a reporter and it's this, you know, investigative podcast, uh, you, you know, with the essentially the thesis that like the Sheriff's Department should be abolished. Um, so for listeners who are, you know, people who like identify themselves as progressives, but get scared off when we enter defund the police or abolish the police messaging. What, what do you want to say? That, what do you want them to understand that they don't understand or they should understand? Um, how bad they behave. I think people... <laughs> people's understanding of the police and their bad behavior is often uh, just about the most public thing that's happened. Just the, the latest big killing uh, that has gotten their attention. And it's just like that level of behavior is happening every single day. Like the things that are making it to the news are just skimming the surface of the daily indignities that they are uh, forcing on mostly black and brown people in uh, poorer neighborhoods, usually, especially in LA, that's where, you know, the most, um, 
violent departments are are in South LA and in East LA. And I think that if you read that the reporting of the podcast is based on, it's called a tradition of violence. The 15 part series and some of it is just reading through the behavior of what they do to people. It's just so evil is the only word I think that there is to describe it. There's just no logic behind it. I think a lot of the people that you're talking about, you know, sort of get into logic mode, get into devil's advocate mode of, okay, but then what if this goes away? Or, you know, how do we deal with this if this doesn't exist? And they're not really engaging with like, what's happening when this does exist? Why are we playing in the hypothetical of how do we come up with a new system without you fully engaging with how bad our current system is? And I always say to people, it's just like, we live in uh, the place of creativity. <laughs> we live in a place of where we make so much stuff up all the time. We are just here playing with our own imaginations constantly. And you're telling me that we can't think of a better system when we have the most creative people in the entire world all living in one place. I mean, I know there are creative people all over, but this is the hub. This is the large hub. It's the hub of entertainment. Uh, I think people just need to be. Um, a little more creative with their own thoughts because the reality is just so so awful and I think that you just have to face it if you are someone who's like I want to get over that hump I want to understand what people are talking about you need to truly face and look into what is happening and once you see that I don't think that you'll be able to turn away Speaking of uh, evil in in Los Angeles, we just had um, our our general election, and thankfully Rick Caruso lost. Um, how were you thinking about the election? I I think for a lot of people it was similar to the uh, to the national election where it was like I don't yeah Joe Biden is not my my choice, mm -hmm. but like the stakes are too like I have to get behind this candidate. Um, which, you know, for a lot of people, uh, there were uh, parallels with Karen Bass. How, mm -hmm. how did you process all of that? Uh, for me, that's frustrating um, because those are the people that don't engage until the people, the names are on the ballot. And it's like, well, yeah, I don't like this either, but what were you doing to make it so that these aren't the two choices? Why, right. why haven't you uh engage with local politics in a way that gives us choices that aren't bad because you know i'm an anarchist i don't want these systems to... my goal is to get people in office who will destroy the system that elected them is my end goal um and so yeah someone like karen bass who i think if she had simply shifted to the left uh, in the primary we never would have been in this situation it, it's a lot of people that just aren't truly taking what's happening in LA seriously. Because I think that the people who are engaged with our local politics are very, uh, pretty left of progressive. <laughs> the people that are getting the people on the ballot that people are excited about, the reason that they're there is because there are a bunch of socialists and communists and anarchists who are getting involved with these systems for the first time and um, really showing their weaknesses, especially in places like California where people see themselves as liberal. 
And so you see two quote unquote Democrats and you have what's happening all over the county, which is people are lying about being Democrats. Crusoe is not a Democrat, but he knows that that's the only way forward in a place like LA. And so we have this system that a lot of the times blocks progressives because we have a top two system. So it's a lot of the time two centrists or two people saying that they're progressives who move on to the general election. And yeah, we get two people that say they are further left than they are. And people think that that's how it has to be. And it's not, it just is going to require earlier intervention from a lot more people than currently are intervening. Yeah. And how can, how can we do that? What do you, what do you recommend to people? I, I mean, the base level, I always say is just like education. I mean, I think, you know, speaking from my own perspective, when I first moved to LA, I had no idea what city council was. I didn't know we had a city council, didn't know who my city council person was, had no idea how much power they hold. We live in the least democratic large city in the country. We only have 15 people on our city council uh, and places like Chicago and New York have at least 50. So we are having one person with just an absurd amount of power trying to serve an absurd amount of constituents. Um, and so it is hard for people to feel heard. And it is hard for people to get in touch with their council members and have any sort of real relation because of this outsized ratio of, of uh, people that they're supposed to be serving. And it's truly just as soon as people know what's happening, that's you know gonna motivate a certain percentage of people. I think there are a lot of people who are gonna know and they're not gonna do anything. But if we're just spreading the information to as many people as possible, some amount of those people are gonna go, what the hell are you talking about? What do you mean? Like when you just tell people, oh yeah, these people are making a quarter of a million dollars. It's like, why don't I know who's representing these? And they're making a quarter of a million dollars and they are making the choices that actually impact my day-to-day life. Like people have this, and I think, you know, I, I went to an Ivy League school, I'm around a quote unquote elitist at times. And the conversations those people have about politics are always national. It's always the Senate, it's always presidential. And to me, that is the most misguided thing that people can be talking about because what we are dealing with every day when you walk out your door and there's trash on the ground, the streets are fucked up, all of our money is going to police instead of, you know, the things that we know actually help people, mental health services, uh, money, the number one thing, just give people money, solves <laughs> a lot of problems. Those things are being determined by our city council and people don't even know it exists. So truly just being like, hey man, do you know who your council member is? Do you know what they control? Do you know what district you even live in? Do you know that we just had a very corrupt redistricting system in which all of these things that you think were of the past, like uh, just incredible gerrymandering, it's not, it's still happening now. Do you know about any of this? Um, that that tends to perk, people, perk people's ears up a bit. And you're obviously already super engaged and you're an organizer for Ground Game LA, but is there a, is there a world, is there a future where you're running for city council or beyond? Oh, absolutely not. I have no interest. Absolutely not. Um, I think it's a terrible job. I think that a lot of the people who are running now are doing so in service to their community. Um, because I, I think 
you know, the thing that we've been saying is people that have to interact with these people in these systems that the, is that they are so bad. They're just really bad, disgusting people. And people always were like, you all are overreacting. They're not racist. They're not classist. They're not homophobic. What are you guys? That's a, that's a pretty good guy trying his best. And then those tapes came out. For people that don't know, the Los Angeles City Council had some uh, council members and the head of the uh, Federation of Labor um, saying some pretty bad stuff uh, about pretty much every group of people. Yes. <laughs> and it just was like this confirmation of like, see, we fucking, we fucking told you, we've been telling you for years that these are the sorts of people who are able to rise to power in your city that you think is super progressive. It's not, these are the real beliefs that underlie the things that are made into law, into all of these policies. And we see how these things are oftentimes doing a thing that is not even present in the policy itself. Like a, a, a sort of lay person would read a policy and go, oh, that seems pretty good. And then we'd come back and be like, oh, this is actually about unhoused people. Oh, this is actually about, um, you know, they're making this out to make it seem like this is protecting disabled people. Um, but it's actually against unhoused people. And this percentage of the unhoused population is disabled. So how could you tell me that this is supposed to be protecting wheelchair users when I know if I look at a city council agenda, we have eight items on our agenda that are just lawsuits about people suing the city for tripping and falling on sidewalks. And you're telling me that this is actually about protecting people using this out. You don't give a fuck about people being able to walk in LA. That's not what this is about at all. Um, so just even giving people the the ability to see what's actually happening in these policies and proving to them that we are trustworthy sources on these things because you know we're listening to the people who are impacted by these problems we're involved with we have these people in these organizations those are the people that we connect with and if they're telling us hey this is what's actually going on we're listening and thus you should Listen to us. We're talking to people closest to the problems who know exactly how this is going to be used to fuck them over. And you just have to believe us, I think is what I want to say to, to people in LA is just like, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, just getting back to your personal life for a moment, you and your girlfriend, I think safe to assume because of the podcast and everything that you're on the same page about these issues for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Prior to this relationship, were you, did you date people where you were not on the same page? Were you, were you, could you stomach dating people who weren't on the same age or just what, what did your dating life look like in general? Hmm. I think, you know, I think that I've only started to use the terms, I guess. You know, it's like the thing of you hold these beliefs because they come from your lived experience, right? Like I was an abolitionist without having the word for it. I was an anarchist without having the word for it. And a lot of having access to that language is because of privileges, because like I started to make money while I lived in LA, I became middle-class and that gave me time to, you know, dive deeper into these issues and spend some of my free time on organizing instead of just survival. Um, and so I think that though I had these beliefs, it, it wasn't 
as part it wasn't as much part of my life so it didn't really enter into conversations about when I was dating people and I think that we were on the same page I think now I'm far further left than uh, a lot of not a lot some of the people that I, I've dated but looking back and like checking in with them because I'm a lesbian so I know I'm friends with a lot of them still uh a lot of them have like come along I think like a lot of people generally um are better assessing what the things they believe at the core of who they are uh translates to in terms of like shared language amongst us because I think when you say the things that I believe in which is just like yeah, people should have a place to live. We should take care of each other. We shouldn't be locking people in cages for the rest of their life for a mistake they made. Like we should be trying to rehabilitate genuinely and you know, give people that were harmed by other people the chance to um, weigh in on how their life looks moving forward or what sort of thing they would like to see from the person that harmed them. All of these things that I think a lot of people, when you just plainly say what they are, agree with, uh, it's more people than just like the people that if I just list, listed everyone I know who like is openly saying I'm a leftist, that that's a much larger group. And I think that that's like a big part of, uh, I hope what people are bringing into their dating lives now is casual conversations that aren't hinged on labels because uh, I think that I, that also protects you as a human being. <laughs> is uh, if I'm romantically involved with someone who uh, thinks about uh, their place in the world and how everyone deserves to be treated, I, I just would guess that someone who's like, yeah, I think people should be locked up and that police killing people uh, is pretty good. I guess that they're not the best part. <laughs> a second, a second that. Uh, I know you're not going to run for office, Brittany, but if you did, you'd have our vote. Oh my God. Uh, thank We're you so ready. much for spending your, doors. Uh, your lunch break with us. Uh, it was a real pleasure. Thank you so oh, much. I mean, thanks. I feel like you just got on and let me, uh, talk about what I uh, believe. That's what wildest, we're here for. The wildest podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Homophilia is a World of Wonder podcast produced and engineered by the wonderful Renee Colvert. Our theme song is by the amazing Ben Wise. We want to thank the incredible Michael Pressman and everyone at World of Wonder. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Homophilia Pod and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts already. Thank you.